wherever you may be listening from. Welcome to a live or not so live Brewers Weekly Postseason Edition. Of course, the Brew Crew are not quite in it, but we got a lot to talk about that's happening in baseball. We're going to give you a minor league update as well. Arizona Fall League happening right now. Plan out the offseason timeline here for the Brew Crew as well. And uh, have some fun with the end of it. Are there certain contracts that you want to talk about it? Or you want to talk about roster construction? What we've learned from maybe a team like the Guardians that maybe contact is overrated. Get more on that a little bit later on here in the pod. I'm Dominic Catronio, your post-game host on Brewers Extra Innings during the regular season. And here we've got Brewers Weekly. Now, you may notice this is only a podcast this week. Well, the Bucks are playing tonight, so we decided let's just go ahead and drop a podcast today here on WTMJ and on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts, and just sit here and chat a little brew crew, chat a little baseball, get your baseball fix in as we sit and watch the postseason. Holy cow, what a postseason it has been so far. And we've seen a lot of pub about, oh, the rest might have hurt the Braves and the Dodgers, and, and you know, you have 100 lost or 100-win teams like the Mets and a 100-win team like the Dodgers, 100-win team like the Braves, already out. You know, they're out of the postseason. Now, the Yankees, they came one win shy of 100 wins, but they're going to be on the brink against another 100-win team against the Houston Astros. I ask you, just hypothetically, and you can speak to yourself here and think about it, I mean, just put yourself in these teams' shoes and don't let these riders fool you. And don't let these managers fool you either. If I offer you After 162 games, 162 games in 180 days, you get 18 off days in baseball. Think about that for a second. When you you lay that out, you suddenly realize what a real grind this sport is, right? So let me, again, pose a question to you. I'm going to give you, after 162 games in 180 days, I am going to give you three maybe four, depending on how things go with the leagues and they shake things out with the TV schedule. Things like that. Three days off, four days off. Let's call it four days off at the end of the season. And you're telling me you don't want that? Why? Oh, m- momentum. We're, gonna, we're not going to have any momentum going to... You won a hundred games. There is no excuse that you can say of like, oh, well... All the momentum's gone. And I know there are baseball people out there that are saying, oh, like, if the Brewers are in this situation, you know, let's say the Brewers next year are a one or a two seed. Let's say they win 98 games or 100 games, whatever. And you're going to be sitting there on your thumbs, nervously waiting to see who you're going to play. I promise you, and talking to players and talking to folks actually on the field, it's a bunch of eyewash in my opinion, as we say in baseball, and a lot of their opinions too. Momentum's a real thing. I think what Philly's got going on right now is a real thing. What San Diego's got going on after beating New York is a real thing. But you cannot suddenly ignore you know, a six-month body of work of the regular season that you should be able to win a five-game series. Period. End of story. Especially because you get to line up your pitching. You get to throw exactly the guys that you want to throw. Look in the case of the Padres, right? They had to throw their three aces, you know, Darvish, Snell, Musgrove, in that three-game wild card against the Mets. So they had to start the next game with maybe not their first option, their, their next series against the Dodgers, but they still survived. The Dodgers had exactly who they wanted, Urias, Kershaw, 
Anderson. They had Gonsolin. Everybody lined up. Where you look at the Braves. Now, the Braves had some starting pitching injuries, as did the Dodgers. The Braves, they got to sit back and relax and pick exactly who they wanted. You don't get that luxury as the wild card team. That is a luxury. And if you want to say, oh, the other team came in hot, the momentum in the offense. Look, I don't buy it, man. I just really don't buy it. What do you think? I'm If I was in the position of the Braves or the Dodgers, I would say we got beat. Okay, not not worry about all this rust, not worry about, oh, rest versus, you know, brewing fresh or anything. No. Dusty Baker's made a big deal about it in this Astros series, but the Astros have steamrolled, you know, as I sit here and record this on Thursday. They're 4-0 in the postseason. They're a darn good team. You should be able to trust your team to get the job done. Anyway, let's actually talk about the postseason. You know, last time, last time we talked, we were previewing the DS round. And now we're in the CS. We've got two wildcard teams. And obviously, in the first year that we have two wild cards, it is pretty incredible. Now, I'm excluding 2020, obviously. It is pretty incredible that we have two wild card teams in a championship series. And does that make you feel conflicted seeing the Phillies, knowing as poorly as they played down the stretch as the Brewers are trying to catch them? Does that frustrate you? I think it's fair to be a little frustrated, knowing all you have to do is win. And this is a great example of why. You know, a lot of folks were complaining, like, oh, even if we get in, they're, they're, they're going to get smoked. You don't know that. Anybody can win a three-game series. And the way the Cardinals kicked it around and how Goldschmidt and Arenado played in that series, anything was possible. That's why I love this expanded playoffs, and especially to have this result, have two wildcard teams in the championship series in the first year of the expanded playoffs is exactly the intention and exactly the sell to these teams that are on the fringes perennially saying, just get in. Good things can happen if you just get in. And I'm going to keep repeating it. The As many bites out of the Apple line. People are mad about it. They're mad about it in the moment. I get that. But it's 100% true. I think of the meme if you've seen it. Why are you booing me? I'm right. David Stearns isn't going to say that verbatim. I'm going to say it for him. The Brewers are in a window of success they've never had in franchise history. Ever. And they had a bad season, they had a bad second half, and it popped them out of the playoffs. But it's true, taking as many bites out of the apple as possible is your best chance to get to the World Series. Did you truly believe at the start of 2018 that that team was going to be one game away from a World Series? Think about that. I mean, it, just getting in is all that matters. 2019, they probably were the better team, but then you know, you look at what happens in the wild card game, chaos happens, and Juan Soto and the Nationals win the whole darn thing. 2020 was weird. I don't count 2020. I think it was not a real season. 2021, that hurt. That really hurt. That team felt like it It could really do some damage in the postseason, especially after the trades of Adamas and Telez was really working out in the second half. And then here, in 2022, you look at this team thinking, man, they can do it. They can make some noise. And they did it. But it is what it is. Looking at this postseason format, you can say, oh, it's important to get the buy. And we just talked about how rest versus rust and all, or rest versus fresh. I don't think the Brewers would mind either way with their pitching of what they've got going on if they were to make it in the postseason as a wild card team next year. Cool. Burns and Woodruff in a three game series in your first two, and then Freddie Peralta for game three. Sign me up, assuming they're healthy. The Brewers are in a good shape, in good fashion. Then Eric Lauer could start game one if needed, or whoever you don't use if it's done in two games. The Brewers could be in a good situation for that moving forward. But looking at the ALCS, looking at the Astros, man, holy cow. 
Where's the hole in their lineup? Where's the hole in their pitching staff? Where's the hole in their bullpen? Where's the flaw? There isn't one. They're the best team, and it's not close. I still think, as I said in the pregame show, or in the right right at the end of the uh, season in our pre-postseason show with Vinny Rettino, now I had Astros Braves. I had chalk. But I was making it very clear. I thought the Astros were winning the whole dang thing. They are that good. And quite frankly, watching the Yankees, they don't got it. They don't got it at all. So Aaron Judge has been contained. He needs help. Harrison Bader out of nowhere. Brewers fans know that feeling. What a great team the Astros have put together. On the National League side, we talked about the wildcard teams. Two teams that hit a lot of homers. Hey, the Astros and Padres are a couple of teams that hit a lot of homers. And I teased this a second ago. Is contact overrated? And I know the Brewers fans are a little frustrated with the amount of strikeouts and the runners in scoring position numbers and things of that nature. But I want to just go on the outside here and keep it within the postseason talk here. Look at what the Guardians did this year. They were a lot of fun to talk about, a lot of fun to watch because they don't strike out. They had the lowest strikeout rate. They had the highest contact rate. They just put the ball in play. But they still lost the series. I, I compare it kind of to the Oakland A's, the, of the Moneyball Oakland A's. Hey, it's cool in theory. Is it practical in practice? Right? The Moneyball A's kept winning, getting into the postseason with you know undervalued players and great story of that, but then they couldn't get past the first round. They couldn't win winner-take-all games. Now, the Guardians, they were a very good team, a good enough team to make postseason and win, albeit the worst division in baseball, the AL Central, but hey, they won 92 games. Kudos to them. When it comes to the postseason and how important home runs are to a team, now we can talk about Josh Naylor rocking the baby, rocking, walking around the bases another time, but home runs matter. And the Brewers, I still was talking about it with a lot of folks as they were in the hunt in September. And I said this on postgame shows. The Brewers are the exact team that opponents would fear in the postseason if they got in. It's exactly what we're seeing with the Phillies. It's exactly what we're seeing with the Yankees. Now, the Yankees have more name-brand sluggers, the Stantons and the Judges and the Rizzos of the world. But the Brewers, they were one homer shy from Hunter Renfro from having three guys with 30 homers. Rowdy, Adamas, and then Renfro finished with 29. There's only one other team that did that. The New York Yankees. Home runs matter. In fact, in the postseason, teams that out-homer their opponent so far this postseason, they are 15-5. and five. And last year, they were 27-2. and two. That matters. Hitting homers matters. Because the beauty of postseason baseball, and you know this, that a walk is a rally. A hit-by-pitch is a rally. An error is a rally. Because when you have a team like the Brewers are constructed, or like the Yankees, or like the Astros, where anybody can go a yard at any given time, whereas you didn't feel that watching the Guardians. You didn't feel that, yes, they have a lot of speedsters. Yes, they put the ball in play a lot. They hit a lot of singles. But they, too, like the Brewers, couldn't get the hit. And they hit a couple homers. Oscar Gonzalez in the walk-off in the 15-inning thriller. Uh, how about the amount of scoreless games we've had? In the postseason, that 15-inning marathon in the wildcard round, Mariners and Astros, 18-inning scoreless until Jeremy Pena happened. But hey, look at those two games. A home run. You see what I'm getting at here? The Brewers had the second most homers in the National League. Yes, they had a ton of strikeouts, but strikeouts are still outs. That's the view of front offices. 
Okay, what's the difference of grounding out to second into a shift, let's say, and striking out? Now, the, maybe the casual fan would say, oh, well, they put the ball in play. They forced the defense to do something. But to the front offices, hey, it's an out. Who cares? It's an out, especially in the shift era. Swing for the fences, man. If they're shifting you, go for it. And I will say, Rowdy Tellez was a victim of the shift a lot this year. I look at, I wonder what it's going to look like for him next season. Is he going to get the opposite field opened up a little bit more for him, up the middle opened up a little bit more for him? But teams figured out how to pitch Rowdy Tellez, too. And I wonder what the Brewers are going to be thinking this offseason of what to do with a bona fide slugger like Rowdy, like Renfro. I mean, even Renfro got shifted to the pull side as a right-handed hitter because he's not the fastest guy on the planet. What will the lack of shifts do for the Brewers' contact rate? Not just with maybe personnel coming up. We're not talking about Freelich. We're not talking about Ruiz or anything like that. We're talking about the current roster. What will the contact change? Will it change for the current roster of guys that got shifted a lot against? I struggle to think it's going to be a massive impact on the Brewers because they're not really a team that hits a lot of balls that are like against the shift. Now, I think of Hunter Renfro. Think about how many times he just, oh, hey, I got two strikes and they're overshifting me. I'll just flick one to the other way. That's not going to happen anymore. He's going to lose a few base hits in that regard. Is Rowdy going to get more base hits up the middle? I wonder. Or is he going to get more line shots in the right field that would turn out to be one hoppers to the guy playing that rover position in right field? That could certainly help him with singles. But at the end of the day, you're not paying these guys to hit singles. You're paying these guys to hit extra base hits, paying these guys to do damage. The Where it's going to really be interesting, for Christian Yelich, a guy who has so much success going the other way, how many times have we seen him try to hit it the other way, and then boom, the third baseman is perfectly right there in that little gap in the six in the five six hole? That's going to be different next year. What will it look like for the Brewers that are not power hitters to have shifts against them? What will the shift look? What will the defense look like against Yelich? What will the defense look like against, say, a guy like Luis Urias, who is not fast by any means? There's a lot to figure out. In the future, and David Stearns has talked about, we don't know how it's going to impact, these rule changes are going to impact the team, but having speed and having contact is never a bad thing. But I think too much of it, it's kind of too much of a good thing, right? With Cleveland, they were built on contact, built on getting on base, and all the power is really supplied from a guy like Jose Ramirez and Josh Naylor. The Brewers, as their lineup is currently constructed... Look, I know Yelich is in 2019 Yelich, but he can still go yard. He can still hit the ball hard the other way. But then you got Adamas who can go yard, Renfro, Telez who can go yard, Urias, 20 homers a year ago, nearly 20 again this year. Who knows what they're going to do at second base with Bryce Terang. Then you've got talent, whether it be Tyrone Taylor in center or if you put Garrett Mitchell in center, he's got, he can got spray ability. I like the construction and the mix of contact and power, not just relying on contact and not just relying on power. I think the Braves were a team that just relied on power. And to an extent, in the second half of the Brewers, they were a team that relied on power. But teams that have power, not necessarily rely on it, have success in the postseason. Now, the Yankees are a team that rely on power. And look, they they just squeezed by the Guardians in the first round, and now they're struggling with the Astros. The Astros are a team, they have power, but they don't rely on it. That's what the Brewers are going to be looking for. Contact is in everything. It's good. Don't get me wrong. 
But just being a slap happy team, there's a reason why there's only one team that's been like a, you know, put the ball in place, speeds your team to win a World Series, the 2015 Royals as of late in current baseball. It, it, teams are so smart, knowing where to position you. So the shifts ban might change that, but I don't want to get ahead of myself and say, oh, yeah, absolutely. Speed is back. Putting the ball in play back. Give me more Stephen Kwan. I, don't, I, I wouldn't say that with certainty. I want to move on off the postseason, off the birds a little bit in the big league level. I want to give you a quick minor league update. You may have heard of the Arizona Fall League. Arizona Fall League, if you're not familiar, is a prospect winter league. And even though it's called the Fall League, but it's a prospect winter league that top prospects go to play in the spring training sites down in Arizona. Uh, they just moved it up to happen happening during October. It's pretty much done by the end of the month now, uh, into the first week of November. But it's for a variety of reasons. For maybe a guy that got injured, get him a few more at-bats. For another guy, showcase against top talent. For young guys, face team, you know, face the type of talent they're going to face the next season. Get a few more ABs in, learn from instructors. There's a lot of a variety of reasons for teams to do it and to have prospects go to their variety of places. Now, the Brewers have a couple of top prospects currently down in Glendale. They've got some funny names, too. The Desert Dogs. Tyler Black is the first-round pick back in 2021. Tyler Black, Canadian, shout-out, uh, 33rd overall. He was a sandwich pick, actually, back in 2021. Now, he's had an injury history. He's only played high A as his highest level last year. He played in, in Appleton. He hit 281. He had an 831 OPS, and he was a college selection out of Wright State. But he's still only 21 years old. He won't be 22 until July, so he is very young for being a college pick. And this is a great opportunity for him to get healthy, get some more reps. There's a great story in MLB.com written by Sam Dykstra, who's a minor league writer for MLB.com, talking to Tyler about his adversity and the injuries that he's gone through. He had an ankle injury in high school. Then he had a torn labrum in college in the spring of 2020. And, well, that all worked out because, obviously, there was no baseball in 2020. So then... He also fractured his left scapula in July this year. So he was out for two months in his first full season of Pro Bowl. So this is a good opportunity for him to get some extra reps at the plate. For him, it's more about reps. And, you know, you can say, oh, it's a hitter's league. He should be tearing it up. It's not that simple. Fall league is... A mixed bag of what you're going to get pitchers-wise. You may see guys with bad control. You may see guys that are doubting 100. It's just guys that are trying to get innings in. But Tyler Black hitting 244 so far in the fall league. He's only got a 648 OPS. But he still has a great eye for the zone. He has 9 walks and only 11 strikeouts. And he's 3 for 3 in stolen bases. That's encouraging to see. Now, he's not close to the big leagues. Again, he's only going to be turning 21 in July. When was the last time we got excited about position players in the minor leagues? Now, Baseball America and MLB Pipeline, they have not released their offseason updated lists. But let's be honest. Look, Jackson Trudio is going to be a top 10 prospect in baseball, in all of baseball. And he's only a teenager. you got Tyler Black, who's not even 21 yet. You've got Jefferson Caro, who's on this team as well. Jefferson Caro, a very young catcher. Brewers can develop catchers with the best of them. Think of a future with him and Mario Feliciano? I like the sound of that, if he can work things out and maybe figure out a little more of his hit tool. Then you've got 
the names that you've heard of all along. You've heard of the Bryce Terangs, you've heard of the Joey Weemers, and now Garrett Mitchell's in the big leagues. When was the last time we were this excited about position players? And oh, by the way, Robert Gasser's in AAA for another arm. That was part of the Josh Hader trade. You've got Esther Ruiz waiting to come back up. The Brewers have some options in the minor leagues right now that if you want to take bites out of the apple, maybe they're trade bait. Maybe there's something in the winter meetings coming up, as we're going to talk offseason timeline here in a sec. Winter meetings are in December that David Stearns can talk to other teams who have scouted these guys like, hey, what are you, what are you thinking about so-and-so? Well, we like him, but you know, it's we really like your guy in the big leagues that could help right now. It's a whole song and dance, right? And trust the process is kind of overused these days. And David Stearns has worn it. I'm happy that he's worn it. We've talked about it plenty on this show that maybe the Josh Hader trade's impact was unforeseen on the clubhouse. But that crutch is gone moving into 2023. That hatchet is buried. It's time to play ball. Devin Williams is going to be the closer. You're going to have... Multiple setup men. You got Jake Cousins back, hopefully. You'll have Trevor Gott in some fashion. You'll have maybe a guy like Perdomo available for high leverage. You'll have Matt Bush available for high leverage. The bullpen's going to be okay, but they can still add to it. Then on the infield, they got to decide what they're going to do with Cole Wong. They got to decide is Bryce Terrain going to be the second baseman? Is Arias going to be the second baseman? Decisions to be made there. But you've got all of this capital built up position player wise, especially in the outfield. I think the Brewers might do something this offseason. Be on a lookout for the uh, winter meetings headlines of David Stearns. It'll be December 4th through 11th in San Diego. Now, I want to remind the quick timeline here. The official offseason begins three days after the World Series ends. That's when you decide if you're going to tender contracts to players that are eligible in arbitration or not eligible, who's going to become a free agent, who's going to be declined a team option, like a Colton Wong, like a Brad Boxberger, who also has a team option. That all stuff happens three days after the World Series. And then let's say the World Series ends on November 4th. The league year officially opens on November 7th. That's when we'll be locked into the hot stove. That's when you start to see things start to rumble. Hey, I mean, there's some big dominoes getting ready to fall with Carlos Correa due to be a free agent after he opt out. Uh, You got Trey Turner due to be a free agent. Dansby Swanson due to be a free agent. It's a heck of a shortstop class. Hey, Brewers are happy with Willie Adamas. But you got maybe trades being talked about. You got free agents. There's there's a lot happening. There's a lot going on coming up as soon as the postseason ends. So don't go off, you know, into your full-on football basketball mode yet because those first two months, right, November, December, that first month or so leading up and to and through the winter meetings, that's when most of the stuff happens. Then it'll pick back up again like late January, early February. So just just keep an eye out on your baseball headlines moving forward. We've talked a lot about, you know, who's going to be added, you know, team options, 40-man roster. Just want to give a quick picture for you as we get ready to wrap up this week's episode of Brewers Weekly. Just a quick little tidy episode. Obviously, the Brewers are not playing. We got... CS is happening right now, but quick update. We did a breakdown in last week's episode. You can scroll up and find it in your feed of how the arbitration process works and how a player is eligible for arbitration, how long that takes, how much money the Brewers are owed. The Brewers have the highest percentage of money owed in arbitration based on their total salary this coming year of any other team in baseball. So that that's how small market teams like the Brewers are able to afford these guys longer than maybe you would expect. 
But let's talk quickly about the 40-man roster and what the Brewers need to do this offseason. There's something called the Rule 5 Draft, and I've talked about it here and there. The Rule 5 Draft is basically an opportunity for guys that you have stashed in your minor leagues that are not protected by your 40-man roster. Remember, when you're on the 40-man roster, you can be called up to the big leagues at any moment, but you have to be added to the 40-man and then added to the active roster, the 26-man roster, in order to play baseball for the actual team. But you are Rule 5 eligible after X number of years, depending if you're a high school pick or if you're a college pick. So Bryce Terang, if he was not added to the 40-man roster this offseason, which the Brewers have to do, do, I believe it's by December 2nd, right before the winter meetings begin, the Brewers would have to decide to add him to the 40-man roster. They're going to add him to the 40-man roster. They're not going to let a first-round pick walk that easily. But what happens is, and teams go through this every year in scouting and trying to pluck and find guys, where you can draft. There's a Rule 5 draft, and there's an order of merit. You don't have to pick every round, and you don't have. there's X number of picks that you're allowed to take. But you can pluck a guy in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft and say, oh, he's not on your 40-man? We'll put him in our minor league system. Then there are rules to keep him on your roster and things of that nature. Then there's a major league phase of the Rule 5 draft as well, where basically... That player has to be put straight to your 26-man roster, has to stay for X amount of months. That's a little more complicated, but we're talking about the minor league side of things. Bryce Terang is going to be added to the 40-man. Now, projected, the Brewers right now have 38 guys in the 40-man. Now, that is not including the soon-to-be departures of free agents of Omar Narvaez, soon-to-be a free agent, Andrew McCutcheon, soon-to-be a free agent, and assuming the Brewers do not pick up the option on Colton Wong, that's three spots right there, position player-wise. Then let's move forward to the pitching side. Trevor Rosenthal, never pitched, but hey, he's on the 40-man. That's going to be a spot open, so that's four spots available. Taylor Rogers, that's five spots available. That's five guys right there that just in free agency, the Brewers are going to have open up. 33 projected. So seven spots available to be put onto the 40-man roster. Bryce Terang is really the only slam dunk guy to be added to the 40-man roster as far as top prospects go. Joey Weimer does not need to be added this year. He doesn't need to be added until next December. Sal Freelich doesn't even need to be added until 2024. So you've got time for those two guys. As far as other top prospects go... There really aren't many that you would say, oh, we need to put this guy on the 40-man roster. So the Brewers are in good shape in that regard. That they Not only do they have room on the 40-man to add the guys they need to that they want from the minor leagues, but this is what's most important. They have room on this roster to go make trades, to go make deals, to go acquire talent and not be faced with tough decisions of having to cut or DFA guys and things of that nature. They're in a very good spot with their 40-man roster. They can make some noise this offseason. I think they're in a position to do so. And there are still going to be guys that are arbitration eligible. Maybe, I mean, I'm, I'm just throwing names. I mean, you got Gustave, you got Perdomo, you got Topa, you've got guys like Jason Alexander. Maybe you don't even tender these guys' contracts. These are decisions to be made by the front office. You don't have to tender a contract to a guy just because he's on your 40-man roster. You let him become a free agent. These are decisions that are getting figured out right now before the official offseason begins. I love hot stove season. It fires me up, man. I am so excited to get to this time of year. I want to give a quick note, quick shout out. Uh, We had the Baseball Writers Association Awards for the Milwaukee chapter. 
and those awards are really no surprise of what the uh, how they were handed out. There's MVP, Pitcher of the Year, Brewers Most Valuable Player, according to baseball writers of Milwaukee. Of course, Willie Adamas, no surprise there. Led the team in runs batted in and doubles and total bases, extra base hits. 31 homers most ever by a shortstop in Brewers history. No surprise there. Most valuable pitcher, also no surprise, Corbin Burns, 12-8, 2.94 ERA, 33 starts. Led the National League with 243 strikeouts. First pitcher in Brewers history to lead his league in strikeouts. Also was top five in a ton of other categories among pitchers in baseball. Great year for the defending signing champion. He will be handing that award over to Sandy Alcantara coming up as soon as the season ends. And then Hunter Renfro was named top newcomer. No surprise there. My guy Hobie Milner, who I've been saying is the Brewers bullpen MVP all year, is the unsung hero award. Absolutely deserving. Career-high 67 relief outings for Hobie Milner. Stranding 32 of 37 inherited runners. The fifth best percentage, 87% in all of Major League Baseball. Minimum 20 inherited runners. Great stuff for Hobie. And no surprise as well, Brandon Woodruff receiving the Good Guy Award for the second straight season. Presented to the player that has the most outgoing, friendly presence in the clubhouse and interacts well with the media on a daily basis in a cooperative and pleasant manner. So those are the five award winners from the Brewers Riders in the Baseball Riders Association of America chapter here in Milwaukee. So no surprise with those guys. I think those are all very fitting. I would have also given some love to Brandon Woodruff as a pitcher, but Look, you're, you're not going to go wrong between Woodruff and Burns. Okay, just quick little Brewers Weekly podcast for you this week with the Bucks opening up their season tonight here on Thursday. We've got ALCS action continuing with friend of the program, Brian Anderson, on the call on TBS with Jeff Francoeur and Ron Darling. Uh, then the pre- and post-game, Bob Costas, Curtis Granderson, Jimmy Rollins, Pedro Martinez. they got Carlos Correa on the show tonight. That'll be fun to watch back here in Houston. You also may or may not know the researcher on that staff as well. Uh, on the National League side, they're not playing tonight. They'll play Game 3 tomorrow in Philly. It will sure to be rocking. That series is tied one game apiece. And uh, Philly is going to... Red October, man. It won, that series, I think, is going 7. I can see the Astros sweeping the Yankees. I think it's... This is no contest in this ALCS until I see otherwise. I've always said, look, a series isn't really a series until you've played in both ballparks, but Depending on how tonight goes for the Astros, this this might be up 2-0 and might be good morning, good afternoon, good night. Granted, Garrett Cole is lined up to pitch Game 3 and Nestor Cortez Game 4, but will it be down 2-0? Will it be down 3-0? It remains to be seen. Enjoy the postseason. Enjoy the Bucks season as well. you got all your coverage right here on 620 WTMJ. Uh, hope you tune in all season long. And we'll be right back next week with another Brewers Weekly. It will be on the radio as well, and available after the fact right here in podcast format as well. I hope you enjoyed the ramblings. Enjoy the postseason. I'm Dominic Catronio. You can follow me on Twitter at Dom underscore Catronio, D-O-M underscore C-O-T-R-O-N-E-O. And until next time, keep on swinging.